0: Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for February 12th, 2018. It's amazing that uh, we're almost halfway through February. It's, we talk about how fast time goes, and when you're really busy with litigation and having fun, time does go fast. And we are busy with litigation, and we are having fun. We were just having some discussion before I started the uh, recording here, and we will have more during the call here because uh, things are starting to move along. But I have to get the stuff out of the way, the business as usual, and I uh, have something I want to read tonight, and I need to tell everybody that's listening that what you hear on this call surely is now legal advice. We don't know what it is, we can't give it. You have to get that from a bar-licensed attorney and none of us are attorneys and uh, believe me, that's one of the last things I'd ever wanna be, is an attorney. Uh, So if you're looking for legal advice, please go find a lawyer. You're welcome to listen in and uh, hopefully learn something from the discussions we have here. But this is Dallas Debt Discussion It's not the Dallas Legal Advice Line. So anytime we say anything, when we are discussing a situation with a caller, and we uh, say, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself, John, Terry, the other moderators, uh, or even if somebody else, uh, just another uh, caller in says something and says, well, you want to do this or you uh, want to do that, please understand that the... We are speaking from the point of view of that's what we would do if you or we were in your situation, if we were in your shoes or a similar situation to you. If we're not telling you what to do. We're not giving advice. We're making a suggestion of what we would do. That is the context of what's happening when we say that. I want to make that very clear to everybody. So, uh, this is about education, it's about helping people understand the consumer protection statutes, the proper use of the courts, because you can use them improperly, and most pro se's do, unfortunately, much to their chagrin and usually much to their disadvantage. We try and uh, help people learn how to do things the right way so that you get results. John, Terry, myself are all litigators in federal court. We have, collectively, we have a a pretty substantial amount of uh, federal court litigation experience. But please understand, that doesn't make us experts. We are not. We're knowledgeable about a lot. We've studied a lot, we've read a lot, we've experienced a lot, but we're not experts. We don't have all the answers. We don't hold ourselves out to having all the answers. And if we don't know the answer to something, we'll tell you and suggest where you might go to find the answer uh, to get the information that you need. So please understand all that up front as you listen to the calls. It's it's very important. We're here to help you, help yourself. We don't do things for people. All right, uh, the board is muted. When you come on, I ask everybody to mute themselves. You can do that by using star six. That is a toggling feature. If you hit star six after you've come on this call, it's going to say, you are muted. If you hit star six again, it'll say, you are unmuted. It's real simple. I mean, it's an easy thing to do. And when you want to raise your hand to make a comment or ask a question, all you have to do is have yourself muted first using star six and then hit star 8, that will put you in the queue. And if you hit star 8, again, it's going to take you out of the queue. So please understand the way TalkShoot works. We are here to help you. Uh, We are engaging in a a project that is starting to produce paperwork and responses uh, from the uh, credit reporting agencies, and we're going to get in uh, to talking about that here shortly. But uh, first of all, I want to see if there's any good news. And then uh, after we get done with good news, I have something that I'm going to read when uh, I find some uh, good, interesting reading uh, that I think could beneficial and informative to the listeners. I bring that out and I have something I'm going to read tonight. So if anybody has any good news, all you have to do, is speak up. You don't have to hit star eight for good news. All you gotta do is speak up right now.
1: Well my good news is gonna be shared later. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> All right. Well I don't hear anybody else. And of course we always take good news. It doesn't matter when uh somebody brings good news in. You know, we're always uh interested in, in hearing that.
1: Well, mine is all connected yeah. with the project. Right, exactly. So yeah, that's we, why that's why, why we're going to wait. And we're going to do that in a little while. And there's, you know, it's it's not just good news, but it's fun stuff. So we'll wait.
0: Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to read something here. Most of you know that uh, I, uh, those of you that have been with us for a while, been listening in know that uh, occasionally I find something that uh I feel is interesting and uh informative and we have somebody that's making noise on the call they aren't they're aren't muted so I'm going to mute them All right now uh I'm just checking the board here to make sure what we got All right I am going to go ahead and read this, and then we will move on to our festivities for the evening, should I say. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay. The All-Important Doorman. Picture this. A tribal leader from a distant country visits the U.S. He's brought to a large apartment building in New York City. When he gets out of the car, he looks up at the great building and is quite impressed. A uniformed doorman exits the foyer and comes out on the sidewalk. The tribesman sees the gold braiding and brass buttons of his coat and immediately decides that this is a very important person. Again, he looks up at the building and says to the doorman, this is a very, uh, very great home you have. You must be very important indeed. Of course, if we were present, we might chuckle at the tribesmen's naivety. The owners of such a great building would never greet people at the entrance. They leave such trivial tasks to hired servants whilst they run the real business without ever needing any direct contact with visitors as they enter the building. And in addition, doormen come and go. They are, after all, disposable. The owners, those who control what happens in the building, retain their positions over the long term and may remain anonymous, if they so choose. We find this simple concept easy enough to understand, and yet we chronically have difficulty in understanding that, in most countries, the President or Prime Minister... Somebody's making noise on here.
2: Not to me. Yeah. Kind of irritating. Let's start again.
0: We find the simple concept easy enough to understand. And yet we chronically have difficulty in understanding that in most countries the president or prime minister is not by any means the man who makes the big decisions in the running of the country. We assume that because we were allowed to vote for our leader, he must actually be our leader. But as Mark Twain has at times been credited as saying, if voting made any difference, they wouldn't let us do it. Similarly, the man whose family took over the financing of Europe, Mayor Rothschild said, permit me to issue and control the money of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. His family has been calling the shots for centuries. But like the owners of the apartment building, they keep a low profile. Remarkably, most people will nod their heads at the above quotes. Yet somehow still imagine their elected leader to be in charge. Most anyone will accept that the voting system in their country has been corrupted in one way or another, and it's even more likely that they'll acknowledge that the central banks control the flow of money. Yet they persist in believing that even if elections are financed by the big banks, the military-industrial complex, big pharma, etc., somehow, those who are elected remain loyal to the voters, not to those who paid for their election. And they imagine these elected members to be running the show. Further, whilst they often acknowledge that the political party that they oppose is bought and paid for, they prefer to think that the one they favor is not. At this point, both the EU and the U.S. are run by the deep state. In Europe, it's a bit more obvious, as the EU is a visible, unelected body that holds sway over all of the most significant developments in Europe. In the U.S., it's a bit less obvious, but it's generally understood that the CIA, FBI, and other similar organizations run independently of the president. He has the power to fire a director, but does not have the power to eliminate these organizations or change their agenda. The U.S. is run as a corporatist body, joint rule by big businesses and the state. The elected members are, like doormen, temporary. They are, of course, highly visible, which they're intended to be, as they're meant to distract the public eye away from those who are truly in charge. And like doormen, they're disposable. They can be unelected at four-year intervals, and the agenda continues as planned. They are, in fact, largely irrelevant to the direction that the country takes. The president in particular falls into this category There have been quite a few presidents, such as the present one, who rose to that post with little or no previous experience in elected office. Their election is a result of popularity. If they do a better job of creating campaign promises than their opponents, they emerge as the winners even if they have no political ties, associations with other legislators, or previous experience in the job. And yet we somehow assume that those who really pull the strings would spend hundreds of millions of dollars on elections, then tolerate a newly elected outsider to wash away their investment by actually taking charge. To be sure, there have been presidents who have bucked the deep state, but they tend to change their tune rather quickly and get back into line. Those who have refused have sometimes found themselves on the business end of a bullet. Although, more recently, the preferred tactic has been to invent accusations of corruption and indecency, then to produce questionable witnesses to discredit the leader. A leader who has been forced out in disgrace is just as gone as one that's been assassinated. but almost invariably the leader sees that it's in his interest to cave into the deep state, as perennially they hold the real power. Campaign promises are tossed into the dustbin, and it's back to the previous ongoing agenda. This we've witnessed time after time. Does this mean that the president is only a mouthpiece for the deep state? Well, no. It's actually advantageous for him to express his own opinions, ruffle the public's feathers, and push his pet projects. It adds to the distraction that he's in charge. However, the larger issues, particularly the flow of tax dollars into the pockets of corporations, continue exactly as planned, regardless of who's in office. Bankers continue to receive absurdly large bailouts when they've grossly mismanaged their banks. The military industrial complex continues to enjoy perpetual warfare so that they can supply armaments to the government for unnecessary conflicts. Big Pharma enjoys legislation that forces people to be vaccinated against their will and accept outrageously high prices for medications that are generally inexpensive to produce. But yes, as long as a president remains the spokesman to explain why such policies are not only tolerable, but essential, he may be allowed to occupy the Oval Office until the voters tire of him. But if this is true, why do people so quickly and so readily accept the leader to actually be unilaterally responsible for every facet of every government policy and action? Well, actually, nothing could be easier. It's human nature to want to put a face to our praise and or our criticism. We can't muster the same focus if we're advised that we're being ruled by a faceless group. We tend to respond more readily and more intensely to a single individual, a face we can conjure up immediately People desire certainty. Doug Casey once observed, when discussing a related subject, and that's exactly so, that's what he said. If we're uncertain during troubled times, we'll instantly jump at the opportunity to put a single face to the problem, to blame the one individual for whatever is troubling us, This is evidenced by the presentation of photos of Lee Harvey Oswald and Osama bin Laden, mere hours after major events, as the certain culprits. They were immediately accepted, without any question, by a people desperately seeking certainty. Therefore, as soon as one leader is out and another takes his place, we're able to immediately transfer our devotion or hatred to the replacement. The concept of providing a single face to the public is one that was understood by George Orwell, who created the character of Big Brother who would be on the video screens incessantly as the face of the government. But in stating all of the above, it may seem that I've portrayed the doorman as insignificant. And this is not the case. He does play quite an important role. He's absolutely essential as he More than any other legislator, creates a suitable distraction from those who really run the show. He's in front of the microphone, does interviews, is filmed almost on a daily basis, and is constantly credited by the media as being either the savior or the devil depending upon which media outlet is providing the portrayal. And the shakier an economy and the greater the problems of a country, the more essential it is that the leader be visible. After all, when things go badly awry, someone has to serve as the fall guy. When this occurs, he is, of course, disposable. He leaves in disgrace or is voted out and a new puppet is voted in whose loyalty is again to the deep state, not to the voters. And most importantly, the real agenda continues as planned, regardless of whatever new campaign promises, got him elected. This is not at all new. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt introduced the Emergency Banking Act the day after his inauguration speech, in which he had assured the country that he would not mess with the currency campaign promises are dumped wholesale. The demeanor of the new leader may change dramatically, and the new leader's very principles may suddenly evaporate after Election Day. However, the ongoing agenda does not. Regardless of who is elected or what party he professes to represent, we witness a continuation of the previous directions taken by those who truly hold the power. What's important to recognize is that no matter how large the apartment building may be, no matter how impressive the presentation of the doorman may be, he is just that. He is only the front man. And he is disposable. The deep state runs the show. Their presence is permanent and their agenda is both ongoing and impervious to the whims of the voting public.
2: My comments for tonight. Excellent,
3: Dave.
1: And to add to that, anytime there is a true and possible solution to any of it, Everyone needs to stop, take a really big breath and realize that the control of the Rothschilds specifically goes back to the earlier, toward mid-1500s. So just in that context, it actually goes back thousands of years as far as this whole elite control thing goes. But just as far as the Rothschilds go, it goes back to the mid-1500s. So it has taken several hundred years to create this deep, a deep state. So have some patience and realize that it cannot and will not ever be drained, turned upside down, cleaned up and solved overnight or in a year or in two, four or eight years. Stop expecting instant gratification. I know we've all been brainwashed into being addicted to that concept in America, but you've got to let go of it. That would be my input. It's a long
0: term deal. Exactly. If
1: it can be done at all.
0: If that's a big, and that's a capital if, no doubt. All right, we are back to talking about consumer protection statutes. And I'm going to ask one more time if anybody has any good news, if they want to bring it out. Uh, speak up right now, if you would. All right, I don't hear anybody. That's fine. Uh, Terry, you want to go ahead Excuse me and pick up on what's... Uh, what the latest is on what's uh, going on with the uh uh FCRA full uh full disclosure product uh, well, project
1: and you know, uh just to give a you give a very short um uh review on where we left it last week as to what's going on with you and I'll pick it up from there
0: okay well last friday uh, I finally got a response from TransUnion. Before that, I had uh, had response from Equifax and Experian. Uh, just as a quick recap, Experian uh, answered the lawsuit. I filed a motion to strike eight of their 11 affirmative defenses because they were ridiculous. Uh, Equifax w- wanted to settle. We've had settlement discussions, but we seem to have a disagreement over the language in the settlement agreement. And they don't want to accept uh, some specific language I want, and I believe they know why, because they, not only Equifax, but their attorneys violated the FCRA in attempting to settle with me, and I'm not going to let them off the hook. And they're trying to get off the hook, and it's not going to happen. So we'll see what that what happens there. Uh, I haven't told them that they've done that, but I think judging from their behavior uh, and lack of answers to a question I asked, that is the case. Then last Friday, TransUnion, on uh, um, the last day that they had to respond, filed a motion to dismiss. So I do have a motion to dismiss to deal with, and it's pretty much laughable in what they did. Uh, it's not going to be difficult uh, to uh, deal with it. It's going to be a little bit of work and we're working on uh, uh, getting other information together in the arguments and we've gotten a tremendous amount of information gathered in the last few days. Uh, I spent four to five hours on the phone with Craig Perry, the uh, attorney we work with and. Uh, Las Vegas last week. Terry was on a conference call with us for uh, several hours one day. So, you know, we're uh, diligently working and, and moving this stuff forward. We have another member that's had interaction as well with uh, same the attorney. same attorney with uh, Equifax. So, you know, things are moving. And then Terry's finally got some action. So I'll let her pick it up from there.
1: Okay. Uh Now, as far as Equifax goes, that's the one Dave was talking about with the uh, uh, motion for settlement uh, and the settlement agreement and his having this attorney. I'm dealing with the same attorney as he is, as is one of our other members. We'll just call her SB. And uh, this same attorney, after... Uh, dealing with Dave and being in in the back-and-forth, you know, negotiations and sending the settlement agreement to Dave, Dave's question about, uh, well, who asked to to get my credit report? And it was just very, very simple, just out of curiosity, you know, why do you have that and, and who asked for it? Okay, meanwhile, that question comes to his attention he calls SB for the first time and tries to, over the phone, trap her into uh, giving him permission to obtain her credit report. And uh, she keeps telling him no. This case only has to do with a full file disclosure. It doesn't have anything to do with the credit report. He tries to convince her that two words are synonymous and interchangeable. She says no, no. Then he further sends her an email. Stating, well, you gave your permission over the phone, and of course she talks to us first, and then she has to answer him. No, I didn't. Didn't give you any kind of permission at all to get my credit report. Now, it's quite obvious he already had it. However, he never came right out and said so, and he never actually sent it to her. With Dave, he sent a copy of that newly gotten credit report attached as Exhibit A to a settlement agreement. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, I end up with the same attorney contacting me. And he says Equifax wants to settle and, you know, what are my demands, etc. And I give him a a dollar amount. He comes back and says they'll accept that and would I please... uh, And he sends me
2: his
1: version of a notice of settlement to put into the court. Well, I don't need some attorney from Equifax to be writing my paperwork. I already had one um, prepared. And I prepared it. I signed it. I sent it off to the court along with a copy to him. Then he also had sent me a W-9. I filled it out. I scanned it into my computer and I, you know, I signed it, scanned it into my computer and I emailed him back and said, here is your W-9, executed W-9, and I have mailed a notice of settlement to the court and mailed you a copy as well. Uh, Notice I did not say, I mailed the notice. Of settlement, or your notice of settlement, I said a notice of settlement into the court and sent you a copy. He sent me an email back that said, I will, uh, thank you for, compl- you know, so quickly, blah, 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 and thank you for sending. I will get a settlement agreement to you as soon as possible. I am awaiting your file, or the fi- a file disclosure from Equifax. I did not say one word after that. Now once again, remember what he said. He'll get me the settlement agreement. He's awaiting a file disclosure from Equifax. He did not come out and say, I've asked for your credit report. I've gotten a credit report. I'll be attaching a credit report. No, he just says he's awaiting a disclosure from Equifax. Then he goes completely silent because meanwhile, while he's dealing with me, he gets into a brouhaha with Dave over the settlement agreement, trying to cover his butt. He knows he's already stepped over the line into violations for the law firm. He screws up with SB, trying to trap her into permission. She won't give it, and then she calls him on it when he tries again in the email. So today, he sends a settlement agreement very similar to the one that he sent Dave, but volunteers up front in his email, and this is to SB, not me, volunteers in his email up front to eliminate paragraph seven, which is all about the attached credit report, and change the language, some of the language in paragraph three, three, which alludes to a credit report, he doesn't go there. Now she can accept that the you know making a few other uh, corrections here and there, but she can accept that settlement agreement. Why? Because yes, they had that argument over the phone, and yes, she called him on his attempt at deceit and trickery in an email, but he has never come out and stated or admitted to or furnished to her a credit report. So she has no evidence at this point to pursue the law firm or this attorney later on for the violation of 1681-Q, and Uh, a Title 18 felony violation, whereas Dave does. So he's not about to accept that settlement agreement as it's written. On the other hand, SB certainly can because she doesn't have any evidence against him anyway. Guy was smart enough not to attach it to hers. Now, I have yet to hear back from him, but I would say I will hear back from him when he hears back from SB as to whether she accepts that or not. I'm probably not going to hear anything until, you know, he decides, phew, well, we'll just use this one and I'll send that to Mrs. Hinkle. So then, earlier today, I was on a personal call, and the other line rings. And lo and behold, I haven't heard a word, a peep, out of experience since I filed the case. And their answer was due today, February 12th. So I answered the other line, and it's an attorney for Experian. So I put her on hold for a minute or two and went and ended my personal call. I went back to her. She introduced herself and said she was with a law firm out of Raleigh, North Carolina, which makes sense because, you know, that's where all this is filed. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I get a different law firm this time. Because so far, Dave, SB, and me, we're dealing with the same attorneys for the other two. Okay? So I'm thinking, well, I got somebody different. This this is a change-up. Well, maybe not. Because, she says, I need to know if... You will uh, object or not. My client wants uh, a, an attorney from another law firm. Have you heard of Jones Day? <laughs> I said, Well, who hasn't? And she says, Well, they want one of their attorneys to come in pro hack vice. So I need to know if you're going to object. I said, What difference does it make whether I do or not? No, I'm not going to object because it's. Not my venue to object. I'm not going to argue with the, with the court, and that's purely a matter of the, the court's discretion as to whether they allow somebody to come in pro-hack vice. nor do I have the right to tell Experian who they can use for their counsel. No, I don't um, and won't object to that. She says, well, in the Western District, as you probably know now, Okay, did she bother to look me up in the Western District? I've not done anything but this for North Carolina. I don't have anything in there except this lawsuit. And so why would I know, right? She says that we do have to confer. Yeah, okay, well, I don't object. So now I get told, yes, indeed, it is the same attorney firm that Dave is dealing with for experience. So uh, she says to me, they're going to file an answer today. And I thought, you bet you are, because you have to. Even if they wanted to settle with me, they would have to put something in the court today because I have to deal with the courts by mail. I don't have access to ECMF, and I couldn't put a notice of settlement in quick enough to delay or eliminate the need for them to put in an answer or a 12-B-6 or something. So I anticipated that. She then said she was going to send me, I asked her for her contact information, et because of course I don't have it. And she says, well, I'll send you an email. But I had her name in her law firm, but that was all. I'll send you an email. Well, she never did. So now, interestingly enough, in the Western District for North Carolina, it's a little different for pro se's here than it was in Georgia. I can't have access to ECMF any more than I could in Georgia. I still do have to deal with the courts via the mail for sending in pleadings, etc. However, there is a third option for pro se as far as the other side and what they put in using the ECMF system or anything put in by the court into the docket. Any t- and I, I have to specifically put a written request into the clerks, with clerks, to request it, which I did. And I was able to request electronic notification of the CMF system's use. So every time they put something in or the court enters something in on the docket, the system automatically sends me an email, letting me know what has been inserted into the docket and by whom. So this afternoon, I get what was it, three of them? Bing, Bing, Bing. They put in uh, that attorney I spoke to put in a notice of appearance. Then she put in a motion for pro hac vice for this guy or girl, a woman from uh, Jones Day, and then she put in experience answer, which was just about identical to Dave's in the first part of it, as far as, you know, they go uh, paragraph by paragraph through the complaint and say uh, no, not enough information or belief to deny or whatever, you know, the same old, same old crap. Then they get to the affirmative defenses, And we all know, because Dave shared, (laughs) the affirmative defenses that Experian put in on his were absurd and ridiculous, and there were 11 of them. So he ended up filing a motion to strike on 8 out of the 11. Now, mine only have 7. The first one is uh, simply that Experian does not allege or admit it has the burden of proof and blah, 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 um, and reserves the right to amend its answers or assert additional defenses should investigation and discovery um, warrant it. Well, that's fine. I can't object to that. Then we get to the second one. Complaint herein and each cause of action thereof fails to set forth facts sufficient to state a claim upon which relief may be granted against Experian, and further fails to state facts sufficient to entitle plaintiff to relief sought or to any other relief whatsoever from Experian. Well, that's not an affirmative defense. That's a reason for a 12b-6.
0: That's a denial.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's a denial. It is not an affirmative defense. So strike that one. Then three, plaintiff has failed to mitigate her damages, and before I go any further, (laughs) I have to say here's where Dave and I's fact pattern differ greatly. When Dave sent the two letters, Dave got credit reports. When I sent the two letters, Experian responded to the first letter by saying, we don't believe you are who you say you are, and asking for further identification. So along with the second letter I sent them, I gave them a utility bill and the driver's license and the Social Security card, okay? Now, as a response to that second letter, zip, nada, nothing. They simply did not respond at all. And I said so in my complaint. So I got nothing from experience and requested a full file disclosure twice and complied with their request for further identification, and still got ignored and got nothing. So we get to three. Plaintiff has failed to mitigate her damages. Uh, hello? You had two chances. You didn't respond properly to the first one and you just ignored the second. What do you want me to do, get on my knees and beg, or maybe jump up and down with my tongue hanging out like a poodle?
0: Well, the bottom line is that's not a requirement. That It's not an affirmative defense uh, for statutory damages. Exactly. Only for tort.
1: Number four, so two and three goes out the window. Experian has informed and believes, and thereon alleges, that any alleged damages sustained by plaintiff were at least in part, caused by the actions of plaintiff herself and resulted from plaintiff's own negligence, which equaled or exceeded any alleged negligence or wrongdoing by experience. Now, hold on here. First of all, I'm not pleading negligence. I am strictly pleading willful, because they could get immunity if I were to plead negligence under 1681G only willfulness can be claimed under that so that goes out the window anyway because a 1681G strictly has to do with willful violation and noncompliance so and how could i have caused any of it i gave them what they asked for i did everything properly and remember As we've told you guys to do, we attached what we sent, what they responded with, to the complaint. So our cards are already completely on the table. We don't have anything else. There is nothing else. There need be nothing else. All our cards are right out there in the open. We've shown our aces and everything all right there. So there goes number four. Number five, any damages which plaintiff may have suffered, which Experian continues to deny, were the direct and proximate result of the conduct of plaintiff. Therefore, plaintiff is is stopped and barred from recovery of any damages. I dared to request a full file disclosure, and therefore I asked for it. That's what that says, correct? So, there there goes number five. Number six, the complaint and each claim for relief therein that seeks equitable relief are barred by the doctrine of unclean hands. Somebody give me a bar of soap.
0: Well, it's just like in mine. Uh, Unclean, uh, a... Affirmative defense of unclean hands, latches, estoppel without specific facts uh, associated with it is not an affirmative defense.
1: And the last one, number seven, Experian reserves the right to assert additional affirmative defenses at such time and to such extent as warranted by discovery and the factual developments in this case, which, as you recall, is simply repeating number one. So they can keep number one and number seven, but the rest are going out the window. Now, I was doing a little research, uh, and I came across a very good article written by an attorney cautioning other attorneys about using boilerplate ridiculous affirmative defenses and ending up with no defenses because they're just throwing them out there like a grocery list okay and many many courts have now adopted the same standard in regard to motions to strike affirmative defenses as the standard on motion to uh, dismiss on a 12b6 the Twombly Iqbal standard so that'd be courts, plausible right and those Those courts have held that uh, by by adopting that standard, such an approach requires a defendant to plead sufficient facts in support of its defenses as both its non-conclusory factual content and the reasonable inferences from that content must plausibly suggest a cognizable defense available to the defendant. And I've got a bunch of, you know, uh, case law, et cetera, to rule that. And if you go to both Rule A two and Rule B of Federal Rules of Civil Procedure that require a short and plain statement in the pleading of claims and affirmative defenses, it follows that both plaintiffs and defendants must plead sufficient facts to put the other side on notice of the basis of their defenses and claims. So now here we are (laughs) at the end of another Monday. Very interesting. I still contend that I probably will not get a settlement agreement from Mr. Kendall on Equifax until FB tells him whether or not she's going to accept what he sent her because he hasn't stepped into into it at all with me just making that little inference in that one email. We've not had that discussion. We've not had that argument. He hasn't given me anything. He realizes what he did with Dave. He realizes what he almost did with F.B. and he's trying to, that's a big CYA, let's cover that up and He's not giving her a copy of the credit reports. So he has realized he better not do it. So that's where I think I stand with them. And this ridiculous answer here, I am preparing exactly the same thing Dave <coughs> said, a motion to strike affirmative defenses <coughs> And I'm still waiting to hear from TransUnion altogether because she called. Last week, another attorney, which is the same firm that Dave has with TransUnion, while I was in a conference call with Dave and Craig, and I told her to call me back in a half an hour because I was on the other line, and she never did. So I haven't heard a word from TransUnion. That's my fun and my good news for the day.
0: (laughs) So anyway, you guys, um, one thing that we want to point out – I want to make a point of this before I forget. Uh, Terry and I discussed this earlier today. Given what's happening with this stuff, especially with the situation with Equifax and the way they're piddly-diddling around with this uh, settlement agreement, um, I would make a very strong suggestion. Of course, I never give advice. I just make suggestions, but I'd give a very strong suggestion that you do not send a uh, W-9 or file a notice of settlement with the court until you have a signed settlement agreement, not in anticipation of it. You wait until you actually have a settlement agreement that you can and will sign, then you provide. Once that's done, you provide the uh, W-9 if you know, you're know you going to do that, which generally we don't have a problem with that. We know how to deal with that. We've discussed that before. And then you file your notice of settlement with the court. Don't do it before anticipating you're going to do that because I think very possibly what I'm going to end up doing here is the notice of settlement that I filed is basically going to be reversed. I'm going to that's have to okay. reverse it because I don't think we're going to have a settlement. Because yeah. somewhere along the line, he's going to get notified that he's going to get sued. Their law firm is going to get sued, and there's going to be another action against uh, Equifax for giving them my credit report uh, without the proper certification. So, um, you know, if they want to settle that without a lawsuit, that's fine. But uh, I'm not letting them off the hook. I'm not uh, signing an agreement and, and letting them walk away with that. Now, you, right. you're going to violate my rights like that and be that stupid? Then you know you can pay.
1: Yeah, and Dave for Camp. anyone
0: that gets
4: gets stuck in that situation, um, like we've discussed on the call before, uh, when you arrive at a settlement orally, that is enforceable, but you should follow up with an email outlining the terms. You have to strike first and say, you know, dear Mr. Mack, based on the based on our discussions, I'm willing to accept blah, 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 blah. Thank you. You know, and you send that over there quickly. But for anyone that's been caught or is a pissing match with them, there's a case called Roscoe versus Equifax from the Northern District of Indiana, 2015, where Equifax tried to say that they had an agreement after a hearing. And as the court said, you know, contrary to Equifax's assertions, the circumstances surrounding the, the hearing are more reflective of settlement negotiations than an actual settlement agreement, blah, blah, blah. The case outlines what what the legal standard for a settlement and how this whole thing falls apart, you know, just because the lawyer's trying to insert his foot in your mouth doesn't mean he has the right to do that uh, Now that one leaned on Indiana law, which you know talks about what a binding settlement is, but you know just because they try to say you agreed to something doesn't mean you did, and if they if they recorded a phone call and try to say that, see if you're in a one party or a two party state. And what that opens up, you know, there's, there's lots of traps out there that they can fall into. And um, hopefully no one's going to get stuck that way. But right, it's interesting. But it, it's know, really interesting how this is evolving.
1: Basically, Dave is in a, in a different position. Dave is in a position where if he accepts their settlement agreement, he's waiving his rights to uh, pursue violations that have been via, that have been uh, perpetrated against him during this negotiation by the attorney firm and Equifax, Okay, now SB and me, we're not. We don't have any solid evidence of that. So there's there's no no reason for us not to accept it if they get rid of paragraph seven and that language in paragraph three. Right. So, but hey, you know the Go ahead.
4: The interesting thing is, if you dig into your research, you can find cases where Equifax knows it shouldn't give a credit report to an attorney.
0: Well, they
1: know that they can't give it to anyone who doesn't have an enumerated permissible purpose under 1681B, and they know the attorney. No, but don't.
0: I mean,
4: they they know what the, they they're aware of the law. They're aware they're supposed to comply with the law. They should have policies in place. But there are cases out there of similarly situated individuals. And so the ability to plead willfulness is going to be pretty easy. That it was willful disregard that harmed the consumer, which opens them to punitive damages.
1: Yes. And they should now, be very lucky that we haven't gone after that. We're happy with the statutory damage of a thousand dollars. If if you think we need to go forward and we need to go after punitive, I'd be happy to amend my complaint and do
4: so. No, but I think I think in 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 Dave's case, they didn't step in a bear trap. They stepped in a daisy they stepped on a daisy cutter.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, do. they just
4: haven't. They just haven't lifted their foot up yet. They,
0: yeah. yeah, they. Uh, kinda... They're getting ready to blow themselves up with what they've done, and they, uh, I, I'm sure he knows it because I I sent that email to his assistant that had sent me the uh, settlement agreement with the credit report attached, and uh, um, I I emailed her back, and I just emailed it to her. I didn't CC him on the email. And I said, um, uh, I'm I'm a little confused. Uh, um, wh- was it that Equifax uh, provided the uh, uh, credit report and asked you to forward it to me, or did you request it from them? I would appreciate a response. Well, I didn't get anything. No. And then finally, two days later, when I hadn't heard anything, I emailed him about it and I asked him about it. Oh, well, uh, she forwarded your email to me, and I'm thinking, okay, well, then why didn't you answer, Dumbo? And uh, uh, he says, well, she was doing that in my direction. And I, yeah, I understand that, but, you know, <laughs> I'd like to know.
1: Right. And I don't have an answer and to then, the question. And then it's a further indication when you see what was sent to SB as opposed to what was sent to you, and the voluntarily – uh, the volunteer motion of taking out Paragraph 7, and then I don't get anything yet.
0: Yeah. Well, he took out of hers exactly what I told him had to be out of mine.
1: Uh, yeah, what got him in trouble in yours. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> you
0: know, the and, and they're trying to might, figure out how to deal with Terry.
4: The one thing that might really... Um, Cause them to come to the table for you, Dave. Is at this at this juncture is a um, electronic preservation
0: letter. You know, I'd actually I was thinking about that today. That thought entered my mind
4: because if you send that, you've got that you. It's like a checkmate because the stuff came across the email, it was sent, and you need to know who you know, who it touched. Yeah. Because each one of those parties will become a defendant. Yeah. Because they shouldn't, you know, negligence isn't, just because they received it doesn't mean they're not in violation. They should have used
1: it. They're only in violation when they received it and then used it. Okay? Because receiving it, you would have never had any evidence of and no knowledge of it, had they not put it right in your face and attach it to it. Well, story?
0: if they had received it, but I didn't have proof exactly that they that they received it, then the burden of proof to prove the violation I would allege would be on me. Completely. But the difference between that situation and what I actually have is the fact that I have the copy of the credit report and the email where it. It came to me along with a second email and a password to access it. I've got the and evidence right in hand.
4: And you won't know who looked at it, who opened it, where the you know whether it was sent as a report to them secured, <coughs> or if it was sent as an open file and they secured it. You won't know until you get in there and dig around and do discovery with some electronics expert that can. Go in there and raid their computer database.
1: Now I think uh, the letter of electronic preservation is called for it, Dave.
0: Yeah. I well, like I said, I was actually thinking about that earlier today. It's very powerful. Well, uh, they get that, and but they're going to be going. Oh, crap. then he knows exactly where you're going.
1: Yeah. And now, Equi- now, is Equifax going yeah. to want to? Hold up settlement with you and getting rid of you just to protect something their dimwit lawyer did
0: to protect yeah. him. No. Yeah. Now, John, well, the lawyer I, to, uh, out of the bus. Yeah, I have not utilized that. Um, is is that something I'm? I'm going to guess you've probably uh, seen that. Is that something that you uh, file with the court, the notice to them, and serve them with it? Uh, well, you, so you, it becomes a part of the that, uh, the record.
4: You do that with the court if you're in an active case with them. But it is something that's done, you know, like in a slip and fall case, you know, you slip and fall in the grocery store, the lawyer sends the preservation letter to the grocery store long before they ever file a lawsuit. Right. The sooner, the sooner, the sooner after the violation occurs the, better the more it powerful it is right. because that shows that you're pointing out that that evidence that they need to preserve is crucial to your case
0: right but and my po- my point my point here is it give, let's let's just use my situation as an example here you know for me to learn because I'm not familiar with this you know here here you guys this is something I've never been uh, done never been involved with I'm aware of it but uh John may may know the answer to this for sure he may not but I'm going to ask him in my situation is this something where I would draft a document and I would file it with the court directing them to do it so it puts it on the public record and send them a there's copy two, of it, or is it outside of the judicial? There's
4: side? two sides to it. There's the side of your ability to sue the law firm and all the people within the law firm that touched the tar baby, and that would be by a letter to the law firm, uh, you know, doc, uh, evidence preservation letter, document preservation letter, whatever Via, you want to call it. Via snail mail. Via snail mail with a extra copy via email Let them know at of time and then, you know, mail them a certified return receipt copy for the future litigation. But because it affects the current defendant in your case or, or a current defendant in your case, that in itself is some reason you want to have that preserved because if they fail to settle with you now, you can amend your complaint to add that
0: violation on. Right. So it, it, it's, it's file, file a copy of it with the court.
4: Well, my recommendation to you, and it's not legal advice, would be to consult with your trusty, handy-dandy uh, federal yeah, rules of civil trials. No, 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 no. Oh, and I to talk to Craig, too. The, the books that we have, yeah, and they've got the they've got the newest version or the 2015 version has the electronic uh, notice in there for preserving okay. electronic evidence. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Federal yeah. rules. No,
0: no, I yeah, no, I know what you're talking about.
4: You can. I'm, you can, I'm, I'm looking at my document.
0: book. It's sitting over there. <laughs> I'm not going to get mm-hmm. up. But that because I've done it. Okay, well, you see, know, that's, that's and,
4: a and thing. had a lawyer go, what the, f-? you know, <laughs> you, you know, they're not going to let you go in there and you know bring in a expert, you know, to go through their whole computer system. <laughs> Let's see what the
0: court says. Well, then, then, then settle with me.
2: Exactly, yeah, and pay me But I mean, you're going to end
4: up, Yeah, it'll be a motion thing. But I mean, that's when it gets down to the discovery part. If they don't want to deal with it, see, because what, what, these. Defendants and their attorneys haven't learned yet is when they take on a formidable pro se, no matter how hard they fight, they're just creating a clear roadmap for future litigants. Yeah. And,
1: and bigger and better pro se.
4: Exactly. Because it, yeah. it, it, it's memorialized on PACER for future yeah. litigation.
0: They're right, and that's why you out. did what you did down there in Florida with your stuff.
4: Yeah, because it just and, – and, hey, look at it. And by the way, if you have recap, it
0: doesn't cost you a penny. Exactly <laughs> keep, right. Yeah,
4: you I know. noticed
0: every single document on my docket is recapped.
1: <laughs> oh, mine is too already. And, you know, it's funny because what John says is so true. They're not only creating a roadmap and blueprints, for future pro se litigants and attorneys as well. But um, they're providing that that roadmap and blueprint free of charge to anybody who wants it.
4: Right. That's right. Now, perhaps the attorneys are doing that to fill their litigation bucket, uh, you know, to the detriment of their client. You know, it's just a more sophisticated miswitch.
0: You never know. Well, it's it, they Whatever they do is always going to be thinking in terms of money in their pocket. Just well, make yeah. no mistake about that. Nobody forget yep. that. Yep. That is all the given. basis for everything. Everything they do.
1: And well, they know is. these particular firms we're talking about that we're dealing with. They know very well already how far their clients will let them go with billable hours. They
4: mm-hmm. already know. As far as they need to.
1: No. So, we're talking the deep pockets here. And it and it's a little bit different chess game with them than it is your fly by night local attorney firm.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Well I'm really glad yeah. that everything on the docket is is recapped. That means people are out there looking and, and you know, we want you guys to do that. Hopefully you can learn from what we're doing. And uh, how we respond to things. It gives you an idea how to structure things, how to write it. And uh, there is some case law that's that's out there that we use, and there will be more that will be put in documents that will be beneficial for you guys. Plus, we're right. going to have other case law that's going to be made available.
1: And you know, uh, Dave, there's another there's another rule attached to recap that's a benefit to everybody out there, and that is that. In your own case, when you're in your own docket, whatever orders the court puts on the docket, like if the the judge were to rule now on Dave's motion to strike, for instance, that would be a court ruling, all right, or a court order of some sort. Anything that's put on the docket by the court, we don't have to pay for when we download it, but it still gets the recap Label on it. Okay? So that's truly a free recap. For the rest of the stuff on recap, whoever downloads it first is the one who ends up paying for it. And that's not always us. In our case, me and Dave, our dockets, thank you whoever did it because everything's been downloaded in mine already and uh, not by me. And so it's re- it's recapped for me.
0: Well, and- but w- what's what's helpful is there's going to be different people that will get there first. Yeah. So everybody's going to be kind of contributing a little bit. You know, maybe maybe you pay for it this time and 30 other people get it free, um, but somebody else pays for it next time and you get it free and stuff like that. Yeah. So.
1: But then all the orders that are put in by the court, if, if I download them first, and I usually do, and now I'm going to get, you know, electronic notification. So I will go to the docket and get them because I want the court-stamped document for my records, you know. So if it's something put in by the court, I'm going to do that. Well, that automatically recaps it for everybody else, even though I didn't have to pay for it.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, something that uh, everybody needs to keep in mind, uh, this Friday will be two weeks since I filed my uh, uh, motion to... uh, strike affirmative defenses well usually they put in an opposition don't they Mm -hmm. and I believe there's 14 days to respond to a motion and motion practice so I'm going to guess that by this Friday there's going to be an opposition to my motion to strike so that's going to be another thing to look at and learn from see what's there And then I would have to look at that and decide whether I wanted to uh, put a reply into that. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, you know, once you start into motion practice, and especially if you've got three defendants, you're going to have a number of different things going back and forth. Once things start, it's going to be like uh, playing three ping pong games at the same time.
4: Three ring circus.
0: Yeah, three (laughs) ring circus. So, uh, and I I just don't think that I'm going to end up settling with uh, Equifax, at least in, in the real short term here. I, th- I think uh, the settlement that looked like we were going to have is not going to happen because of the, what they did with me. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out the best strategy for when I want to spring it on them that, you know, hey, uh, the reason I won't sign that is because both you and your client have – violated the FCRA during settlement uh, negotiations here when you got my credit report. There's a felony involved plus there's uh, violations of the FCRA by both. Now, you know, how do you want to handle us? Jesse's famous words, how do you want to handle us? You know, do you you want to settle this? Um, Do I want to amend my complaint and bring your attorneys in and bring another claim against uh, Equifax or do I want to file a separate lawsuit and then you got to pay the filing fee for that and
1: then Equifax has to get a different law firm no,
0: how do you want I to do it in case is that what you want to do
1: <laughs>
0: well I mean you just you, the time will come that I'll have to tell them okay here's here's what's going on what do you want to do about it how do you want to handle it do you want to do it this way or that way you want to settle it?
1: Because we're going to do it.
0: Well, yeah, I'm not going to let it go.
1: Not waiving my rights to that.
0: No, no. no. I've got no business getting my uh, uh, credit report of mine. So you know that's that's their problem. I mean, it, it doesn't matter whether it was an inadvertent mistake, an intentional mistake. It was a mistake. It was a violation of the law, and that's the bottom line. That's all that matters. All right, we have some people with hands up, so we're going to go to Q&A, and we are going to go to northern, northeast Illinois. I had to mute you and unmute you. Go ahead with your question. Northern Illinois, talk to us. You've been unmuted.
5: Hi, is it me? Hello?
0: That's you,
5: Okay. Hi, how are you guys tonight?
0: Pretty good. How are you?
5: Great. So um, this is Melissa from Chicago.
0: And how is Um, Melissa tonight? uh,
5: You know what? I'm great. Every time I listen to you guys, I feel a little more empowered, and I just know that I'm on the right track. So it's always great to be on these calls with you guys. Good. Okay. So um, I did exactly what I was um, advised to do, which was sit on the debt validation letter. But my question was, um, and this, I mean, it's already gone, but somebody, um, an attorney had advised me afterwards saying that I should not have had my signature on the debt validation letter, um, but That's I was... as
0: goofy as all get out. Yeah.
5: yeah. That doesn't make sense, right? No. No, no it doesn't.
0: <laughs> How okay. is it... The letter's
5: is from you...
1: How is it a legal demand if you don't sign it?
5: That that's what I was saying and you know, I, I have the the certification number right under it saying that this is certified notice, blah blah, blah. I did all everything that I was supposed to do and so that that's what they were saying, like why would you give them your signature? And I'm like I didn't give them my signature, this is my letter telling them to validate a debt and this is my signature validating this letter demanding this to be done. And he was like, Well, I wouldn't advise you of that. And I'm like, Okay, maybe I need a different lawyer.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, think. it sounds like that's somebody that's off in left field already.
5: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, this, this person works with, he's, so he's, I'm not sure if he's even a lawyer, but he works with a mortgage company that helps people with the foreclosure process, the pre foreclosure and the foreclosure <sighs> process. And he works with an attorney, he says. so. Um,
0: right. And I think I understand what why he's wanting to say something. He's he's afraid that if you give him a signature, they're going to monetize it. And that's just nonsense. It's nothing well, you have to do Anything you
1: with your signature it. on it, they do, and you can't stop them anyway. So what's right. the point?
5: Yeah. yeah. So, no, it, it's perfectly fine, right? Yeah. Okay. Also... Um, I just went on MERS, and I tried again, and nothing is showing up except our one of our original loans. Um, so I'm going to call and ask for my uh, paperwork and stuff like that, um, for them to send it to me and things like that. And I'm going to go this week also to go to the courthouse uh, to get our records pulled, and uh, I'm doing everything step-by-step step that you guys have on the website. So um, There you
0: go. Follow what's on the website.
5: Yes. Yeah. So, I'm doing one by one, but I have a question because uh, where I'm getting a little confused is they, you guys say that um, one of the questions you ask is my last payment was made to Bank of America, though, and then I defaulted on, and my husband and I decided that, you know, we are just killing ourselves with this mortgage here. Um, And that, Payment was made to Bank of America but then sold to SLS. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking cunt.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Now we got you- Mr. Bozos on here again. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's just amazing, isn't it? The Clown Gallery heard from. Yeah, the Clown Gallery. Yeah.
5: So, uh,. Yeah, so like I'm so do I still continue obviously the process with SLS though, right? Because they now have the debt.
0: Well, you just, like I say, follow the instructions that are on the website. There, I don't know if John wants to add anything to that. He's more attuned to that than we are. No, I think I think you're right on, Dave. Yeah.
5: Got it. <laughs> that just threw me off, guys. I'm like, wait, what was that?
0: No. <laughs> Person. Yeah, this we we got a, a pervert that comes on every once in a while and does something stupid. So
1: why should ho- why should Hollywood have them all?
5: In Washington
1: D.C. Right?
5: Oh my God. Man. Oh, that was so not expected, but that was hilarious. Okay, um, yeah, so I I will get that done this week, um, and then I'll be I'll check in again with you guys next week on that. Okay. Oh, wait, one more. I'm sorry. One more or less. When I am at the county recorders, um, you said to see who um, my actual mortgage is assigned to or not. And then there were things that you wanted me to get stamped with the date. What exactly am I getting stamped? Is it the stuff showing them not that, on it?
0: That Wouldn't that, uh, John, wouldn't that be just copies of anything she gets out of the... Uh...
4: Uh, record? Anything you get out of the record is going to have a date stamp on it of when it was filed. If you intend to file it in on another lawsuit, if you're going to use it someplace, you have to have a certified copy from the court to make it admissible as evidence. Just because you get it from the court doesn't make, mean it's official, but a certified copy or an official copy from the court
0: you mean the, recorder. the document
4: Correct. Report. Yeah, from the court's court court reporter's office or the um, clerk of the court's office, someone will attest to the printout saying this is a true and correct copy of what's in the record. Blah blah blah. Sign off on it. It's going to have the official county stamp on it.
5: Got it. So pay the extra money and get that done. Got to understand. Okay, great. Thank if, you again, guys. If you guys. need
4: that, once you once you have that, you'll have it in your file. But only the copy that has the official stamp on it is what you're going to file into the uh, to the record if you're going to use it in another lawsuit. So you know you can make yourself a copy. But if you need to, if you need two copies, like if you have a federal lawsuit going and a state lawsuit going, you'll need two copies. But well, um, and where i am i think it's the difference between 10 cents a page and a buck a page so right be, well, you know don't go crazy unless you eat it
1: dave when, or john when you said that i'm i'm hearing doris day singing 10 cents a dance <laughs> 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 you, you remember that out of love him or leave him
4: yeah
5: okay but i'm not, i'm in the pre foreclosure state so uh i'm so I'm gonna just go ahead and get one copy and then keep an extra copy for myself just to be ready just in case. Is that right?
4: If it was me if it was me, I'd go down there and just print out whatever whatever they have, if it's convenient for you to get to and you don't need the certified copy until you need to file it into the court. You'll know exactly where to go. You can go down there, get a copy and get it certified and pay the buck a copy at that point. Okay. Why spend the extra money if you don't need it? But you need oh, to have absolutely. everything that's in your file so that you have so that you have all the information readily at hand for making decisions.
5: Okay. Got it. Thank you, guys.
0: You're welcome. Alrighty. Thank you. Alright. Let's. Oh boy. Here's this guy again from Massachusetts. Oh no. <laughs> oh, not <Aaron>. him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I know. Man, I'm I got pain. everybody
0: on board with me tonight, don't I, Lear?
2: <laughs> yeah. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> How are painful. you tonight? Good. Good. <laughs> Listening to me is probably the most painful thing, but hey.
0: No, no, we love you. We love you. Uh, if I, you know, if I didn't give you a hard time, you'd think I was sick, right?
2: well uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Probably, yes. yeah. What about, do you got going on? Look what happened these days. Um, this is for the state court. So remember one more time, Schley and Stillman, L. Uh-huh. representing Bank of America, has sued my wife in a debt collection case. We had the 27th of February to have the trial date. And uh, the guy asked for uh, uh, creating... Um, a pre- another pretrial hearing, and the court granted it for the twentieth Oh nice. um I did oppose it, but it was probably late so the when I opposed it was probably one day after they had decided to create that new date so we're going to court on Tuesday a week from tomorrow in uh for a pre hearing and I have filed a uh, motion for summary judgment uh most motion for uh, in limine, motion to strike the affidavit, and the motion for uh, resti- rest- what is, restrictions. What is that called, the other one?
0: Restraining order sanctions?
2: Sanctions. Yeah. R- motion for sanctions. And he has filed a motion for summary judgment. The only thing that he based his uh, motion is he has photocopies of uh, statements and checks. Uh, uh, copies of you know um, what is that called? Cleared checks. In in the meantime, he sent me uh, he sent to us the admissions and all these admissions is uh, a question about uh, statements and uh, you know paid paid checks checks used from uh, you know from my bank account and I'm really having a little hard time to to answer these questions. He has questions like this, for example. Uh, I'm gonna go to the first one that has a, you know. Referring to the attached document uh, uh, marked Exhibition 1B uh, and 121D, each is a copy of, a copy that includes an image of a check from your TD Bank account, checking account is number, he gives the number, the full number, on which your name is listed on top of the check. What do I say on that?
0: Well, what are they asking you?
2: He's asking, is your name on the check and your account number with TD Bank?
4: Well, Let me ask you a question. Do you still have that account?
2: I still do, yes.
4: Oh God. Good. Um,
2: But I used Uh to have two mortgages with Bank of America. Mm -hmm. So uh, no matter what, it was easy to to find paychecks because I've paid, you know, probably for nine years mortgages with Bank of America till they transferred it.
4: Right. But are those checks for the mortgage?
2: No, those are for the uh, uh, credit card.
4: The alleged account
2: so, let's look at what, and where did he get those? He doesn't tell where he got them from. He never answered the question. I'm going to deny them as a copy of of papers. Nobody knows the source. Does it make sense?
4: Well, wait a second, because, you know, if he subpoenaed, how long ago are they from?
2: Uh, He probably got them sometime in December. No, no,
4: no. When were the checks?
2: Oh, the checks are are from 2013.
4: Wow, almost five years ago. Um, You know, it's hard to say whether he got them from your bank or not. Because I think for him to get them from the bank, he would have to file a subpoena that would be on the record.
1: Yeah, and banks are only required to keep that stuff for 24 months. And most of them don't keep it longer than that.
2: I I think you can uh, still retrieve them. I remember retrieving a uh, clear check after three or four years. with.
0: Yeah, because uh, all All that stuff, the clear checks are all digitized. So they yeah, maintain a digitized yeah. record of it.
4: But when you, when you look at the the page I mean does it is there any other identifier other than just a picture of a check
2: it it tells on top the amount, the account number, the bank account number, the sequence, the capture date okay. uh, can you
4: tell well, look sure at the capture- look at the capture date was that Was that very close to when the check was written or was that some time later? Because it takes time for it to process through the system.
2: Three days after it was uh, uh, sent out. So it looks like
4: uh,
2: three days mailing.
4: It was recorded on the Bank of America side. Yes. Okay. So that way, if it didn't come from your bank... uh, you know that you can either admit or deny because you lack information,
1: yeah, because d- is there anything that they've included that would conclusively prove that that actually is a photocopy of a check with your signature that came from your bank.
4: Well, you can't tell if it's a real check. You can't tell if it's a, it's your real signature. You exactly. can't tell if it's created by some kid with Photoshop in Pakistan. You know, exactly. you can't you can't tell you can't tell what it is. You lack, and it. so you can neither de- admit nor deny because you lack information. Because that way you you don't have to make a a specific denial. But if you said something, if you go this is just for your information if you said something like it looks like my signature but i don't know if it i you know can't say that it is the judge can call that in a equivocal statement that it you know because you said it looks like it you're not explicitly denying it but by so he can say yeah okay then it is your signature but if you say you can neither admit nor deny because you lack information I mean, he can do a motion to compel, but he doesn't have time to do that before the hearing. So you can deal with it at the hearing.
2: Yeah, but the judge is going to ask my wife, is that from your bank? And my wife is going to say, I, I don't know. I can't tell. Is All your good... wife
4: has to say is it's not, your, it's not her signature.
2: It's not mine. It's not but, hers. But he will say it's your name on top and your address.
4: No, 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 no. Listen. How can she testify to your actions?
2: Meaning? Meaning. Are we, are no. her signature or yours? It's hers. Hers.
4: The, it's her signature on the check?
2: Yeah. Oh. So uh, every. yeah, it's, it's one account we have one common account but he he uh, my wife she writes the checks usually she does she does that, all the payments so it's everywhere her her you know signature
4: okay do you still have your check stubs do you still have your check records from then
2: no, I don't. No, that's a long time ago. Well, then did you
4: lack information to say it's a, it's true. And unless they come in with someone to testify that it is, it's hard to do. They'd have to show that they received money and that the bank paid them money.
1: Right. You know that it's a photocopy of something somebody signed, but you can't say that's your signature. Or that no, you don't a copy. know it's a
2: photocopy.
0: Well, Ch- yeah Ch- Terry. remember, she's going to be photocopy. speaking, not him. Well, that's true. Yeah.
2: You know the whole strategy of him now is because he has no witness or anything. He wants to uh, pull this off by you know pushing to admit that these are my checks and uh-huh. I paid.
0: Yeah, showing That's- a track record of payments on the on the stuff. Yes. Yeah, I understand what he's where he's going.
2: But he's. But I'm gonna state everywhere that lack of information. I can't admit or deny. Lack of information. No, I deny lack of information. Correct.
1: You can't admit what? or deny because you have a lack of information.
4: Yeah. Right. If if it's an admission, okay, you know admissions are admit or deny, admit or deny. So that's why. So you don't put yourself, you know, if you don't, so you don't put your tit in a ringer. Um, you hurry. say you can neither admit nor deny because of lack of information and that's sort of okay well he's not admitting it but he's not denying it but if you deny it to the court and it's something they can prove up then you've lied
0: and that's something from way back in 2013 she can't remember back in 2013 right and she doesn't
4: have her records she doesn't have her records and you know it's it's an image of something, but it could it could have been created in Photoshop. It, you know this, is, and and that's where you then you have to start to argue. You know, if the court gives you a hard time, say, look, these people have been unable to produce a witness. They wouldn't produce. They wouldn't produce any anyone just for deposition. They wouldn't produce any party, and now out of the blue. Like a magician pulling a rabbit from his hat, they're pulling, they're producing these things purported to be checks that were made for payments.
0: They were required now, to disclose that to you before, and they didn't.
4: That's right. And they can't absolutely. use it now. And your honor, your honor, I know that you haven't been living under a rock, and I'm sure you're familiar with lender. Processing services. And as an analogy, in the mortgage industry, lender processing services specialized in creating evidence using electronic means to illegally foreclose on properties. And it is reasonable to assume that a defendant who who or a plaintiff who can't produce a witness to testify to their own internal records, perhaps could do the same service to create ev- to manufacture evidence in order to um, in order in order to use the court in the perpetration of a fraud. In order to employ the court in the perpetration of a fraud.
2: Yeah, in some sense, um, he he never produced them before, and he never produced uh, or gave the information. Where did he get these copies from? Because then I would have to depose the person who produced them, who found them or created whatever.
4: That's 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 true, and it and you don't know where it came from you can't make a determination. That's why you can neither admit or deny because you lack information. So I'm going to go
2: always cross all these questions with uh, uh, neither admit nor deny because I lack information.
4: The defendant can neither admit nor deny because she lacks sufficient information to draw a conclusion.
2: That's the exact terminology. That's exact um uh, one of the questions he asked on kind of in the end is uh and
4: it, it's ten forty six yes? it's ten forty six for when you listen to the recording
2: <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> I don't love these uh, uh recordings, so it's not a big deal i I go through in tomorrow during the work, I go through the whole thing i release the whole thing, so it's not he, he, asked me, um, he asked me questions that really don't make sense. You have no legal defense to, to the claim that you owe an outstanding balance on the account number blah, blah, blah. What does he mean with that? Say it again. You have no legal defense to the claim that you owe an outstanding balance on the account number... No, twenty four oh. seventy nine. Yeah.
0: Is that an admission? Yes, I, that's it. Yes. That's an admission. He's, yeah, he's but I mean, I, I I want him to confirm that. Is, is they sent admissions and that's one of them? Is that correct, Valier?
2: I guess he's asking for admission. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Deny.
2: Deny. Have you sued this guy already? Yes, and uh, I'm gonna i'm gonna file my um, opposition to motion dismiss in federal court next that, week
4: that um that admission is a violation of the f d c p a
2: <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> he that admission he, is a violation yeah. of the f d c p a and because it is um separate from a previous lawsuit you can file a new lawsuit
2: on it <laughs> Last question is this. If the court or the jury finds that you owe an outstanding balance on the account number of this, you have the financial ability to pay any judgment. What a,
4: wow. this is that calls for speculation. That's not <laughs> a request for. It. Yeah, because no, there, yeah, there is no
1: judgment. You wouldn't know what amount he's talking about. Right. So how could you say you could pay anything anywhere anytime?
4: That's ridiculous. Well, just because he said if the court. Well, that's spe- that calls for speculation.
0: Yeah, that calls for speculation. That's, that's,
4: that's, that's not a proper that's not a proper
0: request it, for admission. Exactly.
4: You can object to that.
2: I'm yeah. going to say objection, speculation. Yeah. That uh yeah. Yeah. Calls for Objection. speculation
0: on the part of the uh, uh, defendant.
2: Objection, Objection heard-
0: calls for speculation on the part of the
2: defendant. One small thing to tell uh, you guys, which is a small detail I discovered last weekend. Uh, when I disputed uh, this account with Schlie and Stillman, it was June of, September, uh, June of uh, 2015. In October, in the end of October, they responded they send a validation of that letter it was a letter that says the original bank is uh, original creditor is Bank of America. The account number ending is two seven five one and some uh, the outstanding amount is this and this and attached, they attached a copy of a statement, one statement only. Now the statement the uh, account number and the account number on the letter do not match
0: um I don't know that's,
2: if this has a significance
0: that that's uh something to argue at summary judgment there's confusion uh point that out to the court did, yeah you already um, you already filed your motion for summary judgment so
2: i did and yeah, i put this. Like, did you uh,
0: did you address that in the, in your
2: motion Big time. Okay. I, all right. Well,
0: that's I good.
2: I paragraph. Okay. All right. You, already,
0: you got that argument in there. That's good.
2: Yeah. I think I'm all set for now. I'm going to work on this. Okay. And, uh, all right. So thank you very much. I'll be listening.
0: Okay. Very good. You have a great evening.
2: Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Terry. Thank you,
0: Dave. You're very welcome. Thank you all right let's go to who knows truth you are unmuted go ahead
3: hi good evening um good evening um are we having fun yet oh yes yes uh I, i i i didn't want to get to this yet but i did get my um uh answer from experian and their affirmative defenses are ridiculous um, and I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> They're short and simple and very ridiculous. Um, in regard to Equifax, um, there's, I don't care for the uh, settlement agreement. There's some things in there that I would like to change, and I need to, I need to go over it, and I'll be going over that tomorrow um, here at home. And then uh, I think we have a call tomorrow,
1: Tuesday is when I'm
3: calls. No, call. no,
0: this is the off oh. week. So Terry's oh, okay. call on Thursday will be the next call.
1: But, okay. you know, uh, you sent me what you had earlier.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. And we discussed it. Um, you you uh, Did you come into the call late?
3: No, I did not.
1: Oh, okay. So, so we did discuss that in regard to paragraph 7 and the end of paragraph 3. Right. And um, I'm sure Dave will answer you when he has time um, on oh, his okay. input on that. Okay. Because right. we're seeing what you got, and uh, so we will communicate back with you on it, because I truly believe I'm not going to get one until he sees what you're going to do.
3: Right. Okay.
1: I,
0: I'm well, waiting there for was that.
3: things that. I had some objections there. They did talk about some issues that seemed ridiculous. Well, what like what
0: is it? You, let's just discuss that here. Yeah, let's okay. just do that.
3: Well, um,
0: <clears throat> what is it that you well, don't feel see. you want to have?
3: Um, something about immediately doing something, and I I would want to be specific. Uh, They wanted me to do something immediately, and there's no specifics to this word immediately. Uh,
2: Well,
0: immediately, I think there's a pretty general understanding of what immediately means, but it's the context and what you're talking about.
3: I did see something in there, and I, and I as I said i've got to go over this and digest it i de- did see something in there that talked about not ever bringing anything against equifax uh, and i did uh, at, uh I have made a credit uh accuracy dispute, and if I were to agree with this it would it would not allow me to go forward with that if I do pursue it later oh yeah, in the we future. did
1: forget she does have other uh Stuff going on with them, right?
0: You do have other things with Equifax.
1: Yeah. Yes. Remember the, the uh, Fair Credit Billing Act. Yeah, yeah.
0: the billing act stuff. Like well, it,
1: yes, the
3: helpful. accuracy because I want them to put on my credit report that this is disputed, that's disputed. That was the issue that I was uh, I'm talking about.
1: Okay, so you um, want you want to make sure that the that the uh, settlement agreement does not waive. Your rights to remedy to issues with outside this complaint that already existed.
3: Right, right. So I will go over that. Uh, I've got to, you know, I can't be specific right now because I've worked all day, and I um, and so I'm looking at this now. I need, I need to take tomorrow to look at it more specifically. Also, uh, the other issue is, is Experian has answered, and
0: uh, well, hang, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Right. I'm looking I'm looking at this and I'm I'm going to read the the first part here which is the problem in itself. Plaintiff alleges that Equifax is liable for violations of the Fair Credit Reporting Act and inaccuracies associated with Plaintiff's credit reports published prior to the execution of this agreement. Well, that's absolutely wrong. That's got nothing to do with the full file disclosure request. He's what trying to tie all the other stuff into it. Right, yeah. that's
3: what I think. What number is that you're looking at?
0: What what you got.
3: Right, but the same agreement. That's right
0: it's it's right underneath the the facts fact. at the very oh, okay. beginning in the facts Oh
3: yes. Right. Okay. All right. So yes, you know you, you easy, can't you
0: can't have that in there because no, that's going it? over into the other stuff. He's Definitely. wanting to wrap up every every claim you have against him, and I was like, no, no. So you need to sp- specify that it only relates to the claims made in in your lawsuit as to the uh, uh, full uh, consumer file disclosure, and right. nothing and nothing else. It's got nothing to do with any claim for inaccuracy uh, of information or anything. You made no claims on that.
3: Yes, correct. So I I did catch that I retyped the whole thing today, but I I do need to digest it, and I'll be going right. and doing that tomorrow more. Uh, you know I'll, when I'm fresh in the morning, and I'll go over mm-hmm. each issue. Okay. So uh, yes, I, there were things, that I didn't care for, and I you know like Terry said, I don't need him to submit it for me with all these things that I don't like. I probably will use the format that he's used. And I'll add, you know, I'll include things that I don't object to, but I'm not going to sign this one. So, uh, so, and I'll take that up on Thursday if I need to.
1: Yeah, I can um, see your, your very good reason for not wanting to do so. So at right. this point, if he sent me what he sent you, uh, mm-hmm. I don't have anything else with them. And uh until he provides me with some proof that he got a hold of my credit report, I don't have anything going forward with them as a result of this litigation. So I can accept that with a few tweaks here and there. And I'm the well, only one thus yeah. far. Because I don't have any other issues.
0: Yeah, but that's Terry's fact pattern. That's yeah. not your fact pattern and it's not my fact pattern. Exactly. Wow. So. there's
3: a there's a statement there, one of the one of the numbers paragraphs where you don't hold the attorneys liable either and that's that's going to come out well uh, no you're not going to get no, that out and you're you're you don't need get to out. get it out well what if i do a, a credit what if i look at my credit in a few di- in a couple months no that you, you won't
1: I, see that the attorneys pulled it it will show that uh equifax did it okay They right. they never show that when the attorneys pull it it shows that equifax got it and you know, you don't know. Did they get it for themselves? Did they get it for the attorney? What? They have the right to do that.
0: Yeah. the The thing is, if you didn't, if it, they didn't send it to you, so you have proof in hand that they yeah. did it. Like with me, then you have no way to prove it, and there's not an issue there. Right. Okay.
1: That's not going to be possible in this in this instance in this issue.
4: Right.
3: Okay, that's fine. Um. Uh. Equifax, not Equifax, but Experian has sent their um answer in affirmative defenses. How many days do I have to respond to that?
2: You gotta
0: look at your rules. I think it's unless you got uh, uh local rules that change it, uh, usually in motion practice uh on that, I believe it's fourteen days plus three mailing, but you need to double check your rules. Okay. So okay. Don't take my word for it.
1: F B okay. Uh, they filed an answer in, to mine today, too. Uh, can you – do you have that handy? Yes, I do. Can you scroll down to affirmative defenses?
3: Yes, yes, and, uh, I have
1: it. And tell us what affirmative – read the affirmative defenses to us.
3: Okay. They're pretty short and
1: ridiculous. There's ten of them. Oh, <laughs> you oh, got oh really?
0: That's interesting because I, think... I got 11, Terry got 7, and you got but, 10. But
1: wait a minute. Let me ask this. Okay. What probably makes a difference? Why I got seven and you guys got ten, or you got ten and he got eleven? Did they actually send you credit reports? No, they didn't. Oh, wait, oh wait,
3: excuse me. Yes, they did. Yes, they did.
1: Okay. Yeah. They did with with Dave too, but with me, they completely ignored my request for anything.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Okay. And right I up. I also
3: did make a dispute for credit accuracy with Experian which has nothing to do with this complaint. So that's going to add something that's going to factor in probably with their with their affirmative defenses. So the first one is plaintiff's complaint fails to state a claim against defendant Experion uh, Inc upon which relief can be granted. Well that's kind of ridiculous. Um, is
1: that
0: number 1 on no. your Dave?
3: That's number yeah, 1. But
0: they they can keep that as an affirmative defense. Okay, but Don't argue. I have Don't argue? No. Don't argue. Uh
3: don't I have do I have to answer that?
0: No, no, you don't oh, have no. to answer any of it. No. Oh, okay. But you I may, to you may want to
1: put in a motion to strike affirmative defenses. That's why we're it, asking.
0: Yeah, if oh, there's okay. if they get goofy ones, but um, the failure to state a claim. Uh, I, I've got a court ruling that uh, states that yes, that isn't a valid affirmative defense. Okay. So.
3: Oh, uh, I haven't looked at yours yet to compare it. Uh,
0: well, you got you got to remember, you got to remember that they have the burden of proof on any affirmative defense. Not you. Okay. You have the you have the burden of proof to prove that what you your claim is true. They on affirmative defenses, it flips over. They have to prove their affirmative defenses.
4: That first one they gave you is basically saying that we could do a 12B6 motion to dismiss because you failed to state a claim. But they haven't done that. They're just saying that they could. Right. Okay.
3: Uh, And that's when I would answer, right? That's when I would...
0: Yeah. If they do a... Well, see, that's a motion. This is just an answer. Okay. If they do a motion, if they move the court, you know, hey, we're moving the court to dismiss this. Well, you have to oppose that. This is just answering, saying, "Ah, oh, we didn't do it." Okay. All right. All right go to number two. Uh,
3: defendant Experian has at all times complied with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. No, I didn't get my consumer file. Um, but I, but, but I don't. Well, like again,
1: they have to prove it, and they can't, so that one can right. stay. Defendant's
3: experience, defendant Defendant Experian's procedures were reasonable. I, I suppose that can stay too.
1: That's a matter for a jury to decide. It, yeah, right? that's not an affirmative defense.
3: That's not so. Uh, no. I don't, but I still don't say anything to that, right, at this point.
1: Well, I I would move to start that.
3: Yeah, because it's a
1: matter for a jury to decide. It's not an affirmative defense. Go yeah. ahead. All
3: right. Um, the information which Defendant Experion reported on Plaintiff's credit report was true or substantially true. How do you know? uh well, they did send me a credit report
0: the, the, you, you made you want to strike that because that's not relevant to the claims made in the lawsuit you didn't i have it i first. i got i i have the same the same affirmative defense go look at my motion to strike it's nice. It's not relevant to the claims made in the lawsuit okay
3: and did they try to uh move for summary uh Disposition or some reason? No, race. they can't oh, do no. that.
0: Yeah, that's completely
3: okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, plaintiff has failed to properly mitigate her damages. If any. Yeah. Is- yeah, we already Ito. covered that.
0: It, for statutory damages, uh, there, no, there's okay. no mitigation necessary for a claimant statutory damages because the plaintiff has a burden of proof. Okay. Again, that was one of them that I moved to strike. Look at look at my motion to strike.
3: And I'm going to go back over that tomorrow and uh, look at the whole document okay. and see how you how you proceeded with that. Um, plaintiff damages, if any, were caused by the actions of others and not experion.
0: I That's addressed maybe. that too. That's BS. Yep, that diddoo. Over- <laughs> but they they don't say what actions by who. Actions. They can't just say that. They mm-hmm. they don't they give any. Uh, uh, Information nope. to, to, uh, uh, nope. Nope. you, you could, uh, uh, look into it. They don't, right. they, they, they didn't say, well, it, it was because Dave Mack did such and such on September 21st. You know, mm-hmm. they, they can't just say, well, somebody else did something, so we're not liable. Well, really? What and when? Here again, I, same kind of, uh, stuff and it's in the motion to strike that I filed you can go read it how I argued I
3: it I have it all printed and I will be you know working on that tomorrow That's my project um, plaintiff has failed to plead any jurisdictional allegations
0: that's that was right in the template of the uh, lawsuit
1: okay <laughs> jurisdiction <laughs>
0: and venue were, were covered it's, in the complaint unless you took them by out. The, by the complaint. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Defendant relies upon all affirmative defenses asserted by co-defendants. That's a new wrinkle.
0: What? They cannot, they cannot make claims for other parties.
1: No, they cannot. They can't rely on what TransUnion uses for their defense.
0: That's
3: and asinine. Are,
1: that's, that is asinine.
3: <laughs> and how would you answer that? You just, what you said, you know, you can't rely on.
0: I think that there's something in my motion dis- dismissed that uh, even oh, deals yeah. with that. If not, I, I've got a, uh, uh, I've, uh, see, I where did I get my information? Uh, and how did I argue this stuff? I went out and I found some rulings by courts on, Motions to strike affirmative defense,
1: and that's what I've been doing today
0: to try to find some yeah. closer to me, not you know, out in Texas. Doesn't doesn't no I, no. I, you don't have to worry about it being in right in your district.
5: This stuff uh-huh. it,
0: at this stage of the game, this isn't uh, this isn't a big deal. This uh, this is just nonsense.
1: It's,
0: okay. You know they're trying to throw mud at the wall and see how dumb you are that you can't answer it and you know, that you can't argue it in some form or fashion or won't pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, that, if, when you come back and you make arguments, but, the, you know, they, they've they got to be reasonable arguments to it and you want to find something to pursue it. But, um, you know, I've, I've got a couple documents. Actually, what I should do is a, a couple of these things that I've got the information I've got on dealing with uh, affirmative defenses and stuff. I should post that in the forum. Uh oh. I'll you, I'll have to I'll have to see maybe I can get that and, and post it in the forum and uh, you should send
1: it to me in, in the
0: uh, yeah in the document section under Texas
1: and that was uh, okay. I I agree with you S B that was totally and completely
0: no. irrefutably
1: Athenian
0: yeah yeah I mean that's yeah they they can't rely on someone else's affirmative I've never heard that
1: one before that's no funny. that's a
0: new one that's yeah, real I, off the wall.
3: Thought so too, and the last one is defendant Experion reserves the right to supplement its affirmative defense
0: yeah. in the Yeah, they covenant. have that right. Just leave it. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right.
3: Yep. Okay. Well.
0: I yeah, you know got a, a few it. of them in there. You can whack them.
3: Uh huh. Okay. Well, that I think that's it. Out of
1: tonight. seven, I'm I'm gonna whack four of them.
3: Oh. Okay.
1: Yeah. I got to leave enough. them three. Like that's all
3: they're going to get. <laughs> okay. Well, this will be interesting.
0: <laughs> all right. Okay.
4: Yeah. Well, that's it.
0: Okay. Well, that wraps us up for tonight. We are
4: before before you wrap it, Dave. Yes. The thing that I find interesting is in TransUnion's motion to dismiss for dismiss to you, where they said you specifically he alleges upon information and belief blah 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 they go on you know with two paragraphs on that yet in Terry's answer in the affirmative defense number 4 it says his experience is informed and believes and they're on alleges yeah so <laughs> yeah
1: i can't it, have an information or belief but they can
4: of course, no, no. Dave had information and belief. They are informed and
0: believe. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I see. Uh, well, right. wait till they get my opposition to their motion. to Wait a discussion. minute, which
1: one is that, uh, John? They're nope. informed and believe what?
0: Number four, it says, Number
4: Experian four. is informed and believes and thereupon alleges that any alleged damages sustained by plaintiff were, at least in part, caused by the actions of plaintiff herself and resulted from plaintiff's own negligence, which equally or exceeded any alleged negligence or wrongdoing by
0: Experian. Yeah. Well, you see, everybody, how the lawyers love to play with words. It's a word game, and you've got to get used to that. You've got to right. think about it. Does it make any sense, what they say? Yes, yeah, Quite in, often it in, doesn't.
1: In <laughs> and Dave's the funny motion... part is, at least in my case, everything I did, every, literally, everything I did and their response, lack of, total lack of response, the fact that they ignored me, is already on the docket, attached to the complaint. There is nothing else. And there doesn't need
4: to be. So, so then on Dave's on the mo- on the motion to dismiss, the lawyer says. Here, the complaint contains mere conclusory statements and speculation and provides no factual basis for the assertion that any specific information has been excluded from his consumer disclosure. His complaint should be dismissed because he has alleged no facts sufficient to support any recognizable cause of action under 1681G. So you could take that right there and retool it and drop it in as part of your, you know, motion to strike that affirmative defense. You can, for the people that are listening, that you can use exactly what the lawyers do and retool it to, with their argument, to attack just what this other lawyer had to say. Right,
1: 1681G holds no, uh, uh, provides no requirement for the consumer to know what is in the file or to know whether what is in the file is complete
0: or accurate.
1: Because it would be virtually
0: impossible for the consumer to know until, until the consumer receives it.
1: The file is provided to the consumer.
0: Well, and the thing is, um, did they state... That they sent everything that was in my file? No, they didn't. So how could you know that? They sent they sent me a credit report. They didn't say that they sent me everything that was in my file. consumer file.
1: Oopsie.
4: Well,
0: the, well, but but you know when you
4: when you go to the what i was trying to illustrate was you know if you took that language it says the the uh affirmative defense number 4 contains mere conclusory statements and speculation and provides no factual basis for the assertion that and then look over to the what they said on the other one that plaint plaintiff uh plaintiff plaintiff's actions um and negligence uh caused uh, uh caused the violation
0: well the I, the I'd a, a simple very simple um unambiguous request for a consumer file disclosure could not be construed as negligent or anything else by any reasonable person. Right, and then you done, go on where, done properly where,
1: as outlined, and uh, as outlined and stated in the plain language of the statute. Right,
4: right. So then you and, go on. Experience, and, yeah. experience, uh, affirmative defense number four should be dismissed because experience has failed to allege facts sufficient to support uh, its claim that. Uh, Plaintiff's actions and negligence caused her harm it, because, it's, uh, because they have pled nothing. They've just put a little blanket thing in there that's completely ambiguous. Yeah. I was only well, trying to show I, people how they could how they could use the lawyers' their own language words from back two at different them. cases. Yeah. Their own language back at them. How they how they form an argument. You don't have to come up with your own.
0: Use the lawyers. I'm going to take and uh, uh, several of these things uh, I will post in the forum after the call here tonight. Uh, there's I think I got several documents and there may be a link or two to articles on the. Uh, uh, internet that I will post in there. Uh, again, in the forum under the uh, uh, oh, God, I can't even think of the name of it. i having a brain cramp. The uh, uh, pleadings, under pleadings, and then go to Texas. And you'll be able to find it. And obviously, there'll be the most recent uh, postings in there. All right. Well, thank you. So there'll be some stuff. You know, here again, you guys, all the stuff's out there. You just got to go do some search and look for it and, and go read it. But there's the there's the one document that I will put in there where a judge just rakes the lawyer over the coals. I mean, the lawyer threw all sorts of mud at the walls and the judge just ripped him a new one for doing it. But there's the uh, the ruling from the the court, the statements and stuff are wonderful in there because the court actually gives gives you some case law, and then you can actually cite that uh, that case as well. So,
3: okay, doesn't it have to be from my area then. The
0: no, no. no, on this stuff, no, you don't need to do that. Okay, I mean, this is all just rudimentary stuff. The court knows that this is just a a stupid game up front, and uh, you know. It, you got to remember, guys, when you've got any kind of a legitimate claim, any time, like we do, <clears throat> any they put in affirmative defenses, they're padding their pocketbook. That's all it is. They're padding their pocketbook. Because you got to remember, uh, Experian, TransUnion, or Equifax has got to pay them several thousand bucks up front for them to even start on the case. So... You know they they gotta they gotta do something for that money. they can't just lay down and say, "Oh, yeah, okay, you know we'll give you what you want right. sometimes they do, but not always mhm it's it's just a game, it's just a game mm-hmm. so well, we told you we would uh give you some uh stuff to work with, so uh, I'll post that here shortly. All right, well, thank you. You're welcome all right. Well, we are gonna wrap things up tonight then and uh it's uh things are getting more interesting out there. It's uh we knew they would and uh, they will from here. So don't don't think that they uh they won't because there'll be some twists and turns and uh we'll deal with them as they come down the pike. So uh tomorrow night there is no call. It is the off week for the Blog Talk Radio, but Terry will be on her call and John and I will probably be there on Thursday night at 8 o'clock Eastern. And if you are new and don't have the information about her call, send an email to queensongbird at gmail.com. Say, please put me on the list. That's all you got to do. She'll get you on there. When she sends the call reminder out to you, keep it. She doesn't send them out every week like she used to. Write it down so you've got the information, the call number and everything. And uh, the reason you want to get in her email list is she does send out other information on things. So uh, that way you will get that information when she sends it out. But uh, for all the members, uh, and if you're not a member and you're in this project, well, you're missing the boat. I mean big time. If, if you're going to try and do this stuff without being a member and having access to all the information we're, we're putting in the website on this and Terry's webinars that she's doing, you're, you're going to learn just enough to be dangerous to yourself, and that's not a good thing.
1: And it's, uh, it, it's, part, part two of the webinar series will be next Wednesday, not this Wednesday.
0: Yeah, a week from this Wednesday will be part two. Terry laid the groundwork to explain to everybody really in detail how all this stuff has kind of come about and everything. She she did an excellent job of laying the groundwork because you guys need to understand what's happened, what you're arguing, so that when you have some lawyer that BS's you, you can go, no, 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 that's not the way it is. You know they're BSing BS in you and, instead of going, oh, gee, I didn't know that. you know I, right. I didn't really understand. I just thought if I filed a lawsuit, I could get a check
1: you got to be able to recognize bullshit when you see it and
0: smell right, it. Right, right. So, anyway, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, hope everybody has a great evening, and I will uh, post this stuff in the uh, forum here. should be there within the next half hour.
1: All right. Talk
0: to everybody on Thursday night on Terry's Call. Thank you, John. Thank you, Thank you Terry. Thank, Thank you, you for hosting. You bet. Good
1: Take night. care, everybody
4: night.